Rewatching Good TV Podcast Network presents The Sorkin Cast. Once again, welcome to the Rewatching Good TV Podcast Network's Sorkin Cast. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com, that tricky URL to the blog. That's where you can also find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find contact links and podcatcher links, and a review on iTunes would very much be appreciated if you can take the time to do one of those written reviews in order to help me stay more noticeable amongst other fantastic television podcasts that are out there. Remember that if you have comments on any of these podcasts or on any of the episodes that we're covering up through episode 11 of the podcast or episode 11 of season one of The West Wing, uh, since you can find West Wing on Netflix or on DVD, you can go ahead and watch ahead. But if you have any feedback regarding any of that, there are easy ways to contact me, like sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-669-1840. That's the Rewatching Good TV uh, podcast hotline or listener line. Just be sure to leave on your message as part of your message that you are calling in regards to the Sorkincast uh, so that I know which podcast to include your feedback in. This week we are looking at episode three of West Wing, season one, entitled A Proportional Response. And I can't say proportional, so please forgive me. Uh, the episode was written by Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Mark Buckland. And the episode first aired on October 6th, 1999, was viewed by an estimated 10.4 million viewers. Geos.tv, that's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, ranks this episode 37th out of 156 episodes. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Once again, I will be by myself. There won't be any guest with me. So uh, if you've managed to make it through the last podcast with me just monologuing along, hopefully then you'll stay with me on this one as well. Let's move on to an episode summary where the White House prepares for a military response in reaction to the downing of a plane with U.S. citizens aboard. CJ finds out about Sam and Lori, and Josh hires Charlie Young as the president's new body man. Um, I I just want to say right off the top, um, before we get to any of our little segments, that to me this episode is fantastic because it introduces some of my favorite characters for the first time. Uh, And I get nostalgic about that. Uh, For instance, Admiral Fitzwallis, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he is just super throughout this whole series, as you will see. And also uh, Danny Kincannon, uh, played by Timothy Busfield, I believe is his name. He's a veteran actor. Uh, He's fantastic in this series as well. Uh, And the character of Danny Kincannon is one of my favorites. And Charles Young. Uh, Charlie Young is one of my favorite characters as well. And uh, he is, of course, a regular. So great introduction of, of three great characters Uh, And one of the reasons why I stayed invested in this series, uh, getting through some of these early episodes where they were trying to knock some of the kinks out, I guess you could say. Um, We'll go with a walk and talk 
part next, and this week's Walk and Talk happens to be right at the beginning with Josh and Donna as Josh enters the building. One thing uh, that they did early on, which is kind of annoying to me, actually, about the Walk and Talks, is uh, they use the same music. Like, in the very first episode, when Leo's doing his big Walk and Talk, you hear this certain kind of waltz kind of music. And uh, you get that once, I believe, during the the Leo and Tolliver one last week. And in this one, you get it right at the beginning as well with Josh and Donna. And I was just kind of like, you know, Snuffy, we really don't need to know. There's so many walk and talks in the last episode. We really don't need to have this one defined as, quote unquote, the walk and talk just because you put the music behind it. Uh, I don't know if that was a Sorkin thing or if that was Snuffy's choice and Sorkin said, okay, but that's just kind of annoying to me, which is another reason why I'd, I'm not going to be doing any, uh, if you listen to previous podcasts, I used to do uh, cleft notes, uh, analyzing the music of certain TV shows. And, and here, I just don't feel it's really all that necessary. Not that Snuffy's music isn't good. It does invoke emotion, sometimes feelings of patriotism, sometimes stuff like that. Uh, but it's not nearly as character centric as uh, some of the stuff that I like to pursue, like a Giacchino or a Ramin Javadi. So uh, that's why we're not having any musical segments in this particular podcast. Uh, whoa, I'm st- supposed to be talking about the walk and talk. And this one, again, as I said, is Josh and Donna as Josh enters the building. And I mainly included this one simply because you can never have enough Donatella Moss in your life. Um, she's also one of my favorite characters. And uh, here she's pretty snippy, isn't she? Here's the clip. CJ's looking for you. Huh? CJ's looking for you. Donna? Yeah. Good morning, Josh. It's a pretty good way to start the day. Good morning. What's up? CJ's looking for you. Tell her I'm in the office. Josh, I'm saying CJ is looking for you. What did I do? How would I know? Because you know everything. I do know everything. Donna. I'm saying you say that now, but anytime I want to make a substantive contribution... You make plenty of substantive contributions. This... This could be a substantive contribution. I need a raise. So do I. You're my boss. The, uh, I'm not the one who pays you. Yes, but you could recommend that I got Donna, a raise. she's looking for me. Do you think this is a really good time to talk about a raise? Mm, I think this is the best time to talk about a raise. Donna, you're not a very nice person. You gotta get to know me. Donna. The best I can cobble together from the small shards of information I've been able to overhear in the restroom and at the Danish cart. Donna. Is it possible that there's a situation involving Sam, a woman, and CJ being denied information about something? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Hide in your office? No, I'm not going to hide in my office. I am going to go into my office and devise a strategy. That is what I do. I'm a professional, not a little boy. Mm, That's the spirit. But if she calls, I'm at the dentist. I'll be back in an hour. Got it. Yeah! Wow, are you stupid. And speaking of being snippy, as Donna is sometimes uh, with Josh, uh, in the same way, there are always what I call quick jabs. Uh, More or less, they're personal or political or professional. Uh, But we just call them more or less the, the humorous quotes around here. And here are some of those from this week's episode. As women are prone to do. That's not what I meant. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's always what you mean. You know what, CJ? I really think I'm the best judge of what I mean, you paranoid Berkeley shiksa feminista. Well, that was way too far. No, no. Well, I've got a staff meeting to go to, and so do you, you elitist Harvard fascist, missed the dean's list two semesters in a row, Yankee jackass. 
There's a delegation of cardiologists having their pictures taken in the blue room. You wouldn't think you could find a group of people more arrogant than the 15 of us, but there they are, right upstairs in the blue room. CJ, what's all the activity? What activity? CJ, come on. Fitz Wallace was in Leo's office. Admiral Fitz Wallace is chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Leo McGarry is White House Chief of Staff. I'm your host, CJ. Let's play our game. Everyone running around like the future of the world depends on it, which I suppose it does. Everyone running around, working. Me, I got nothing to do. Yes. Like a writer on a movie set. Have you ever been on a movie set? No, but I hear stories. You want to do mail? At least there's some comfort in knowing that whatever's going to happen today has already happened. Josh, your office sucks. I don't understand it. Why can't you tell me that there is a person in my office? Hey, the first time I didn't know, the second time I didn't care that much. When I think of all the work you put in to get me to run, when I think of all the work you did to get me elected, I could pummel your ass with a baseball bat. <laughs> hey, do you know anything about a story going around that has the Secret Service investigating Bertram Coles for threatening the life of the president? No. Maggie Greenwald is quoting you as saying the Secret Service investigates all threats made against the president and it's White House policy not to comment. Yeah. Did you say that? Yeah. Hey, you don't suppose that's how the story got started, do you? You know what, CJ? You tell Burke Coles that Toby Ziegler said there's a new sheriff in town. And there you go. So let's start talking about the plot of the episode and our first clip after CJ approaches Josh about uh, Sam off clip. Then we join her and Josh and Toby on the way to the morning meeting with Leo. We then get a very irate president who can't find his glasses and Leo discussing the downplayed situation. And then Leo passes on the information to the staff, including Sam, who reads an interesting quote from a Bertram Coles that sets Toby off. You look like a million bucks, by the way. Don't try and make up with me. I'll talk to Sam. I'll talk to Sam. Toby. Hey, how was last night? The longest dinner of my life. The president was up from the table every five minutes, teeing off on Cashman and Berryhill. He's barking at the Secretary of State. He's scaring the hell out of Fitz Wallace, which I didn't think was possible. He's snapping at the First Lady. He's talking about blowing up half He's of North Africa. CJ, this may be a good time to tell the president about Sam and the call girl. He knows? Yeah. Yes, I'm afraid I have that information now, and I'll be in to see you, my friend, very shortly. How the hell did I get into trouble? Today, all you had to do was get out of bed. Concern itself what I damn well tell him to be concerned with. It doesn't work like that. So I've discovered. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning. Moreover, you know that's not the way it works. The chiefs are moving as swiftly as they can, even though, frankly, time isn't a factor. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning. Not to pile on, but Cashman and Burial have a reasonable point with respect to the Security Council. Uh, yeah. Mrs. Lanningham, I can't seem to find my glasses anywhere. Could you please do whatever it is you do when I can't find my glasses? Certainly, sir. It's been 72 hours, Leo. That's more than three days since they blew him out of the sky. And I'm tired of waiting, damn it. This is candy ass. We're going to draw up a response scenario today. I'm going to give the order today. We're going to strike back today. Good morning. Good morning, Leo. How's his mood? How's his mood? Yeah. Don't worry about it. Toby said that he was And I said, don't worry about it. Hey, Sam, what do you know? It's true. You're kidding. I have the transcript from the broadcast. What broadcast? 
Congressman Bertram Coles appearing on a radio program in his home district. Right. The fifth. Yes. East Chester County, part of Lofton. Who we just recommended cuts in funding for the M6 speaking. What'd he say? He was on the broadcast along with several officers from Cromwell Air Force Base when he said regarding the president being weak on defense. Folks down here are patriotic, fiercely patriotic. The president better not be planning on making any visits to this base. If he does, he may not get out alive. He said that. You believe it? Sitting with military officers. Yeah. Don't take the bait. Josh. Don't take the bait. You better believe I'm going to take the bait. What are you going to do? Have the Justice Department bring him in for questioning pending felony charges. Toby's right. What's the good of being in power if you're not going to haul your enemies in for questioning? <laughs> We're really not going to do anything about this? Yeah, Toby, because what we really need to do is arrest people for being mean to the president. In the event an attack order is given today, we'll need a half hour on the networks. Uh, when do they need to be told? 90 minutes notice. Wait till the last minute. Toby, start working on a draft for the president. We need to know what we're hitting. Yeah, you and me both. Leo? It's military, Toby. You'll know when you know. Toby. Yeah? Did you guys hear what Bertram Cole said on the radio? Yeah. And? Secret Service investigates all threats made against the president. It's White House policy not to comment on those investigations. Are you telling me there's going to be a criminal investigation? I really can't comment on that right now. Damn, I got to get back to my office. Now, we didn't have it in the clip, but uh, I do love CJ in this episode again, um, especially that bit with Josh at the beginning. And... Uh, you have to, again, her and Toby, uh, which is also kind of evidenced in the clip because of Toby's reaction to the Coles quote, um, they really take protecting this president sincerely. And I guess that would be a loyalty that any president would hope to have from a staff, right? But in the same respect, uh, because of the way Sam is in this particular episode, it, it kind of makes me pose the question about Sam. And I want your opinion on this. Is he kind of by carrying on being a friend with Lori, actually doing the opposite of the loyalty that CJ and, and Toby uh, exhibit by trying to protect the president? Is he not seeing uh, what kind of damage that could actually be done just because he's idealistic about what he's doing? And I don't know. Do you feel like it's more admirable that Sam is sticking to his own ideas despite what kind of problems that CJ is trying to point out in this episode that it could cause? Or is it less admirable uh, than what CJ and Toby are doing? So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. You can send an email to sortcast at gmail.com or you can call 314-669-1840. Now, as far as Bartlett goes, I mean, he's clearly still very much seething from what happened uh, in regards to the plane and... The bit that I didn't include in the clip, once again, uh, is where Leo reminds the president that he, he's really kind of personally associating the attack uh, with Tolliver, more so than the fact that there were more American lives, even though he, Bartlett tries to blow that off. It does seem to hit home in regards to some of the response that Bartlett is having to this, um, despite whatever higher ideas that Bartlett is going to spew out throughout the rest of the episode in regards to that. And uh, obviously, finally, the, the glasses bit is important for Charlie uh, later on in the up. Um, but as someone who is rewatching this series and, and realizing the stresses that President Bartlett is under right now, the fact that he forgot where he left them 
is actually kind of a great interest to me. And I know that those of you who have watched the series before know what I'm talking about. Um, Because I think it's fantastic that you can look back on this kind of little stuff and see how it points toward uh, later episode reveals. And uh, you can almost use those later episode reveals to look back and think of of a possible explanation for him leaving the glasses behind. And, you know, and Toby, he's just not, he immediately goes to the press. That's fantastic. So, gotta love that. And let's move on to clip two. In this clip, CJ confronts Sam about Lori. And in the Situation Room, the President confronts the Joint Chiefs over their plan of response to the attack. And Josh interviews Charlie Young for the position of being the President's personal assistant or personal aide. Here's the clip. You are aware that I didn't know she was a call girl when I went home with her, right? Yes, but you called her again and went back to see her. I went back to see her. I didn't go back to solicit her. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. You work in the White House, Sam. You work 50 feet from the Oval Office and you're consorting with a woman. Consorting? I'm friendly with a woman. I like this woman. This woman poses no threat to the president. And it's very likely that owing to my friendship, this woman may start living her life inbounds, ensuring for herself a greater future. And isn't that exactly what we're supposed to be doing here? Oh. CJ. I see. This is ridiculous. You're there to help her see the error of her ways. I'm there because I like her. I'm there because it's there that I'd be if this were alcohol or drugs. I'm not sleeping with her. This isn't tawdry. I don't care what it is. I care what it looks like. And I care what it is. And I think it's high time we all spend a little less time looking good. And a little, a little more... more time being good? Yes. Yeah, I've heard that one before. One other thing. Yeah, are we done? No, Sam, when I say one other thing, that means we're not done, that there's one other thing. Yeah, I'm resenting the hell out of this conversation right now. It was tough to tell from your tone of voice. What do you want? I beg your pardon? What's the one other thing? I'm your first phone call. Morning, Mr. President. What do we got? Three retaliatory strike scenarios. When are they operational? At the president's command. No prep time. We're there. All three scenarios are comprehensive, meet the obligations of proportional response, and pose minimum risk to American personnel and assets. Scenario one, or Pericles one, to use his code name, sir. What is the virtue of a proportional response? I'm sorry? What is the virtue of a proportional response? Why is it good? They hit an airplane, so we hit a transmitter, right? That's a proportional response. That's roughly it, yes, sir. This is what we do. I mean, this is what we do. Yes, sir, it's what we do. It's what we've always done. Well, if it's what we do, if it's what we've always done, don't they know we're going to do it? Sir, if you turn your attention to Pericles 1. I have turned my attention to Pericles 1. It's two ammo dumps, an abandoned railroad bridge, and a Syrian intelligence agency. Those are four highly rated targets, sir. But they know we're going to do that. They know we're going to do that. Those areas have been abandoned for three days now. We know that from the satellite, right? We have the intelligence. Sir. They did that, so we did this. It's the cost of doing business. It's been factored in, right? No, sir. You're right, sir. Then I ask again, what is the virtue of a proportional response? It isn't virtuous, Mr. President. It's all there is, sir. It is not all there is. Sir, Admiral Fitzwater. Excuse me, Leo. Pardon me, Mr. President. Just what else is there? The disproportional response. Let the word ring forth from this time and this place, gentlemen. You kill an American, any American, we don't come back with a proportional response. We come back with total disaster. Charles Young? I'm supposed to vet you. I beg your pardon? Vet you. I'm supposed to vet you, investigate to discover if there are problems. Uh, I'm Josh Lyman, Deputy Chief of Staff. How are you? Is it uh, Charles? Charlie. Charlie, you can have a seat if you like. I don't mind, Sandy. I'm sure you understand why we have to go through this. It's a very sensitive job. It's also a very hard job. 20-hour days aren't uncommon. Long trips at the last minute, a lot of wait and hurry up. Moreover, there'll be times when you have to make yourself invisible in plain sight, as well as an undeniable force in front of those who want more time than we want to give. Sometimes the people I'm talking about will be kings and prime ministers. You understand so far? Uh, sir, I'm sorry, but I think there's been some kind of mistake. Yeah, I came here. 
I was looking for a job as a messenger. Yes. And I had an interview with Misty LaGuardia, and she told me to wait. Yes. And then she told me to come here. Yes, that's because we asked Misty LaGuardia to keep an eye out. She's recommending you for a different job. Sir, if you don't mind me asking. Personal aid to the president. You don't have to call me, sir. Charlie, you're standing again. Well, I see. I came here for a messenger job. Why aren't you in college? Well, I mean, these, these transcripts, your grades are better than mine. Mr. Lyman. Oh, not really, but they're close. It was an easy school. I... No, come on. I'm, I'm looking at recommendations from guidance counselors. I'm looking at ACT scores. You didn't want to go to college? Well, I, I have a little sister at home. You take care of her? Yes, sir. Your parents are gone? My mom, she's a police officer. She was shot and killed on duty a few months ago. Five months ago. Now, one of my all-time favorite guest characters, Admiral Fitzwallis, uh, played by John Amos, and one of my all-time favorite regulars, Charles Young, played by Dulé Hill, are introduced in this last clip. So this clip is gold for me. Uh, but first off, I just love how straightforward Fitzwallis is, and you would also definitely hope that anyone in that kind of position of power, of military power, would be the same. Um, secondly, you get invested in Charlie really quickly because of his situation. And even though that's not something that really plays too much into his story later on, um, there are occasional reminders. So it's good that you establish this and, and it's a way to feel for this kid and want him to get the job right off the bat. Because, uh, later on you, you find out of course that Charlie is very smart he's funny and he's, he's one of the most real characters he's one of the least caricatures of all of the uh, of all of the characters in this show and it really pays off through the seasons as you will see uh, especially the bit about him being smart anyway uh i kind of already talked about cj and her mission to protect the president and of course you see it here through her conversation with sam but something we'll see demonstrated here and also later on in the episode is that you have to love something about these two characters. And that is uh, they will argue, they will fight back and forth, they will say hurtful things sometimes. Uh, and even when they're on the opposite sides of the argument, you'll see that each other's opinions sometimes gets into each other's brains. They have an effect on each other. And uh, I can talk more about that with the CJ clip with Danny Kincannon that we'll have later on. And uh, briefly again about the president and his whole spiel to the Joint Chiefs. You know, obviously, uh, there, there's some people taken aback there by uh, Bartlett's response to what they think is a, is a decent plan. Uh, and even Leo thinks is a decent plan. But we can talk more about that later, too. I just think it's cool that we get to see places like the Situation Room in this show and see what it's like. Um, now I doubt it's very accurate because I don't think that the set designers were allowed to get a tour of the situation room, or at least I would doubt it. I imagine they probably pulled whatever information they had, uh, from like pool press pool photographs from the white house that were released for public consumption at some point during that time. But, you know, given how beautiful the rest of the sets are, and I haven't really talked about this in our podcast yet, but uh, the Oval Office, you know, especially, it looks like you would picture the Oval Office to look like. It looks like press pool photographs that you've seen from there or, or uh, television broadcasts from there. Um, 
I, I don't know exactly how close, like in terms of dimensions or whatever they came to detail or the layout of the rest of the West Wing is compared to the Oval Office or even the Situation Room, the size of it or the, the equipment in it at the time. Uh, but I'd like to think that it's close just because it makes me like the show that much more. And I think that's it for that clip. Let's go on to the third clip. And in this clip, Fisk Wallace convinces Bartlett to calm down with his military response to the down plane. Sam continues to pontificate Josh during Charlie's interview. Leo gives the specifics of the mission as well as instructions to the staff. And finally, Fitz Wallace advises Leo to calm the president down as well as weighing in on a concern about Charlie that both Leo and Josh have. You called me? Yes, sir. Mr. President, we put together a scenario by which we attack Hassan Airport. It's three main terminals and two runways. In addition to the civilian casualties, which could register in the thousands, the strike would temporarily cripple the region's ability to receive medical supplies and bottled water. Now, I think Mr. Cashman and Secretary Hutchinson would each tell you what I'm sure you already know, sir, that this strike would be seen both at home and abroad as a staggering overreaction by a first-time commander-in-chief. That without the support of our allies, without a Western coalition, without Great Britain and Japan, and without Congress, you'll have doled out $5,000 worth of punishment for a 50-buck crime, sir. Mr. President, a proportional response doesn't empty the options box for the future the way an all-out assault would... Thank you. This other plan... Pericles 1, sir. Pericles 1, yes. No civilian casualties? We can't promise that, sir. But you're as certain as you can be. Yes, sir. And what are the military implications? We'll cripple both their intelligence network and their surface-to-air strike capability. Very well. Ray, Mr. Lyman, have you ever tried to overthrow the government? Is it because the messenger job is not available anymore? Because maybe if I came back at a different time... Charlie, this job's actually better than the messenger job. It pays more, you don't have to ride around town on a bicycle, and instead of being a messenger, you get to be personal aide to the president. I see. So maybe if I come back... Hey, Sam. This is Sam Seaborn, Deputy Communications Director. This is Charlie Young. He's here for Ted's job. It's nice to meet you. Don't get up. Um, I was here for the messenger job. Debbie's got an eye for personnel. I've got a driver's license and my own bike, so... I gotta ask you some more questions here. You ever tried to overthrow the government? No, sir. What the hell's been stopping you? <laughs> Seriously, Charlie. Uh, I gotta ask you about your personal life. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Why? Because I do. Charlie, are you gonna come to work early, stay late, do your job efficiently and discreetly? Well, as I was saying to Mr. Lyman... I Thank you. What more do you need to know? Charlie, I wonder if you could tell me about your social life, your friends, what you like to do. Josh, I cannot believe you. Sam. Well, uh, there, there's my sister, Dina, and um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what you're asking. He's asking if you're gay, Charlie. And I wouldn't answer the damn question. All right, that's it, Sam. Let's take a walk. You know what? Feel free to sue our asses off. I'll represent you if you like. Let's go. What's happening? Yeah, that's what I hear. The order was given at 1627, codename Pericles 1. Four targets, all military. Two munitions dumps in northern Rishan, Safian Bridge, and IHQ. What's the estimated time? About 6.30 Eastern. You can come to the sit room in 20 minutes for a weapons briefing. In the meantime, Toby, Sam, the president will go on network at 9, so start zeroing in. Hey, guys, no phone calls in or out. And CJ, nothing to the press till you get the high sign from me. No head starts. They're going to wonder what all the fuss is about. Then let's not have any fuss. You're going to have to set him down, Leo. I know. This is not the last one of these we're going to have to do. But you're going to have to set him down. Any advice? Tell him it's always like this the first time. Tell him he's doing fine. He's not doing fine. 
Yeah, he is. Presidents don't make new friends. That's why they got to hang on to their old ones. You'll know what to say. Uh, hey, Fitz. Yeah? The president's personal aide. They're looking at a kid. You have any problem with a young black man waiting on the president? I'm an old black man, and I wait on the president. The kid's got to carry his bags. And You're going to pay him a decent wage? Yeah. You're going to treat him with respect in the workplace? Yeah. And why the hell should I care? That's what I thought. I got some real honest-to-God battles to fight, Leo. I don't have time for the cosmetic ones. Thanks, Admiral. Yeah. Good luck. See you later. I, I'm sure you are coming to the conclusion as to why I love the Fitzwallis character by now. He is just so fantastic with the truth to power stuff, as, as I suppose anybody in his position would be. Uh, but I just love it. Um, even though that whole 50 buck crime phrase there kind of sets Bartlett off a little bit. Uh, you got to think that actually Fitzwallis is right. I, I mean, as heinous as that may sound for me to even say it, especially somebody who has no military experience at all. But uh, I, I really respect him for putting it in just kind of a real context and putting Bartlett in his place, more or less, even though it doesn't really all that work. And because of that, he's equally truthful with Leo about uh, Charlie uh, and about the president that Leo needs to calm him down. And, and he's no nonsense about uh, the Charlie bit. Uh, and you have to love that. I, I don't know if it's been really established in any of the episodes so far or not. So some of you people might be asking, especially if you're watching for the first time, why does Leo seem to side with Fitzwallis on this stuff or get along with Fitzwallis better than, uh, or the rest of the Joint Chiefs better than Bartlett does? And I, I don't think it's a spoiler for me to tell you right now that we'll find out over the course of time that Leo was in the military himself during the Vietnam War. So there's an explanation uh, for it. Uh, but I could de definitely see how uh, someone watching this for the first time, I remember when I watched it for the first time, I was kind of like, well, Leo is the president's guy. Why is he so cool with Fitzwallis and Bartlett isn't? Um, so I think that's a legitimate question for a first-time watcher to, to ask, but I'm just going to go ahead and give you an explanation right now. Uh, and as far as Sam goes, you know, I understand his frustration with everybody telling him how to run his personal life. Uh, but I, I, I mean, he's taking his ideas to a whole other level that becomes a disruption in a way, uh, in this bit with Josh and Charlie. Uh, now for those of us who have watched the series, um, and, and know how important Charlie is, imagine what a travesty it would have been if you could just picture, you know, here we go fanficking, but if Charlie had, had listened to Sam and just said, okay, fine, I'm not going to take this job. Um, it, it just, it, it would be t terrible because Charlie turns out to be a great character. Again, one of my favorites. And I think Sam, on, on a certain level, he's, he's almost inadvertently betraying the president by disqualifying someone that will ultimately be so good for the president that he clearly needs. I mean, that's all, you know, Sam doesn't know that at the time. Nobody knows that at the time. We don't even know that at the time except as a rewatch. Um, but the president clearly needs a good body man if he can't even find his own glasses, right? So there you go. Uh, clip four. Let's move on to that. In this clip, Sam apologizes to CJ, and CJ hears from a White House reporter, Danny Kincannon, that people know about Sam and Lori. 
Josh gets a surprise visit from Mandy. CJ talks Danny out of going with the Sam story. And Charlie helps an irate president pin down the location of his missing glasses. CJ. Listen. What? I'm, I'm sorry about before. Yeah. I'm just really very fond of her is all. Go back to work. Right. CJ, what's all the activity? What activity? Is it happening? No. Would you know if it was? Guys. Why all the activity? Menudo's in the building. I gotta go. CJ. Oh, man. I honestly think that you, of all people... We need to talk. Danny, I haven't called a full lid. There'll obviously be a briefing if the president has engaged the use of military force. Thanks. Since I've only been a White House reporter for seven years, I appreciate you clearing that up. What? Not for nothing. But I know Sam Seaborn's been going around with a $3,000 a night call girl. And I thought you should know that I know. Why are you here? I start work next week. I came to get psyched. Huh. I bought you a present. Why are you being nice to me? Because I'm really psyched to get started with work. It's been pretty bad around here since it happened. I had a hunch. A combination of American lives and Morris. The idea of using any force at all. We always said he'd be in his head. He wasn't ready for it. How do you get ready for it? What'd you bring me? What? I want my present. Yeah. It's a picture I found. Picture of you and me, and someone's drawn all over my face with a magic marker. That was me. Oh. During my period of hating you. Well, that could have been pretty much any time, couldn't it? Sure. You guys are doing okay, Josh. Listen, you're not going to be this nice to me when we're working together, right? Not a chance. That's what I thought. Danny, it's going to be much ado about nothing. It doesn't look that way. But it is that way, and I just got through telling you it's that way. CJ. Sam knows the difference between right and wrong, and so do you. Would it make my life easier if he wasn't friends with this woman? Absolutely. But Sam is a grown-up, and I don't get to choose his friends, and your readers don't get to judge them. And I'll tell you what else. There's something commendable about Sam's behavior here. Don't ask me what, but there is. And I'm sticking by him till the president orders me otherwise, and I'm going to look very unfavorably on those who seek only to make Whoa, us look like Whoa, down, girl. Danny? I'll drop it. Good. I'll drop it. Thank you. But CJ, you better get deed up here. Because not everybody's a good guy. And you're going to start to get traction on something, which maybe somebody else isn't such a fan of, and they're going to put a tail on Seaborn if they haven't already. Remember, I found out about this somehow, and I wasn't there. No way. Anything. My point is, they'll keep in their pocket to the eve of something big. Bill signing, State of the Union, maybe the convention. I'm on it. Yeah. I'll wait for him. Hang on a sec. I'm going to give you a 10-minute head start on something. What for? Being a good guy. What's the tip? Yeah. Thank you. We're out of Syrian airspace. Well, when do we get the BDA? Uh, well, there's a problem with that, sir. Why? Ordinarily, we get help with early information from sources inside the Syrian intelligence. So network. what's the problem? We just blew up the Syrian intelligence. Oh, for crying out loud, will somebody get on the phone to CNN and find out if we hit anything? President, it's the BDA, sir. Thank you. Now, if I only had my glasses. Mr. President, if you'll take a minute or two to familiarize yourself with the Phoenix, the press will I got the briefing on the Phoenix. You understand I'm not talking about the sidewalk. The Phoenix! I got the briefing on the Phoenix last night. I studied the report. Hutchins was there in my private study. The Phoenix, the A61, the Sparrow, and the Sidewinder. Are we covered? Yes, sir. Very well. Yeah, Minister Air, Mr. President. For one of a pair of glasses. Try mine, sir. Charlie, tell him. Mr. President, you said you read the Phoenix report in... What? You said you read the Phoenix report in your private study last night, sir. What of it? Who is this? Have a steward go to the president's study, have him look under the papers on the coffee table. Mr. President, this is Charles Young. I don't even need time for new people now. So I mentioned slightly before about CJ listening to Sam's arguments, or really both of them listening to each other's arguments, and, and here you see that Sam uh, kind of 
apologizes to CJ for the way he's acting. Maybe the whole thing with Josh kind of got him shook back into reality a little bit as well. Uh, but the most interesting thing is that you end up seeing CJ use all of Sam's arguments to Danny. Uh, now, Danny Kincannon is also another all-time favorite guest character. Uh, again, Timothy Busfield does just such a great job with this character. And, you know, you have to say that everything Danny is saying to CJ, he's got the right of it. I mean, this is not a story that's going to go away, and it's not a story that's going to come out immediately. Uh, which gives us a little hint as to possible future problems for this presidency, right? Because he says somebody's going to hold on to it until something big comes up, and she better D up. And this whole bit about a press guy cooperating with CJ uh, in this respect, is, I'm sure that it seems a little bit convenient story-wise at this point. Um, but uh, like I said, it does help to set up the Sam storyline uh, in, in terms of it being far from over. And we're going to find out a few in a few episodes um, why Danny is giving CJ a break as well. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, I know. I drop little spoilers in everything, but uh, th- this is a rewatch show. Come on. This episode aired almost 15, over 15 years ago. So get over it. Anyway, uh, the Josh Mandy stuff. It's almost like they're just trying to create this some kind of prolonged sexual tension between two exes, and it really does nothing for me. I mean, this is kind of my one big complaint about the series so far is that they haven't found that niche for Mandy yet. They just make her an aggravation to Josh or an aggravation to everybody else, and at the same time, they make her annoying to us, and I, like I said last week, maybe we're just not supposed to like her. Um but right now, I don't like her. It's not even the fact that I'm invested enough in her to care about her enough not to like her. It's more that I'm just annoyed by the fact that she shows up in an episode. Uh, I don't think it's the acting. I think Maura Kelly's doing just fine. I just think that um, this particular caricature that, that Sorkin seems to include in almost every show just doesn't really work for me personally, I guess. I I, I'll, I definitely much prefer... Josh's interactions with Donna than I do any interaction he has with Mandy. Let me just put it that way. And uh, I guess you can obviously see that even though Bartlett got schooled a little bit in the situation room, um, he is still not convinced that he's doing enough. And like has been indicated throughout the whole episode, he's more or less taking it out on everybody. Even this kid, Charlie, who is a complete stranger, who actually, you know, uh, could just walk right out of the, the place and, and go straight to the press and and tell him what happened in there uh, and really make the president look bad. But I, I will say this, that at least at that moment, Bartlett is not a politician, because if he was being a politician in that moment, that would have never happened, having a stranger in the room. Uh First of all, a stranger in the room probably would have never been allowed in there. Uh, but you just see Bartlett reacting as a person. He's still very upset uh, about this mission that has already occurred, yet he, you know, he, he still doesn't feel like it was enough. So there you go. And, and as far as Charlie goes, um, him figuring out where the glasses were left is, again, a little bit convenient 
you know, because, I mean, think about it. You've got all of these brightest people in America in the room, and he's the only one who can figure out, you know, based on uh, Bartlett saying that he read the Phoenix Report in his private study. Uh, that's That's just kind of very convenient. But still, if you put that aside, um, I like to think of it, again, I look at these shows as, as guilty pleasures more so than, than being nitpicky about it uh, like I would be with uh, some other television shows. Um, instead, I choose to look at it as it's just a demonstration that Charlie is very smart, at least. And that's all I've got for this clip, so let's move on to the final clip where Leo finally calms the president down privately and then the president makes amends to Charlie before giving his address to the nation. Well, you've gone through everyone who works for you and everyone who's married to you. I didn't know who else you could get mad at, so I was afraid the American people might be next. Oh, by the way, when we're done here, you're sending Abby some flowers. Where was Morris's protection or anybody else on that airplane? Where is the retribution for the families? And where is the warning to the rest of the world that Americans shall walk this earth unharmed lest the clenched fist of the most mighty military force in the history of mankind comes crashing down on your house. In other words, Leo, what the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. In fact, I'm not 100% sure it hasn't induced it. What are you talking about? I'm talking about 286 American Marines in Beirut. I'm talking about Somalia. I'm talking about Nairobi. And you think ratcheting up the body count's going to act as a deterrent? You're damn oh, right. Oh, then you, you are just as stupid as these guys who think capital punishment's going to be a deterrent for drug kingpins. As if drug kingpins didn't live their day-to-day -day lives under the possibility of execution. And their executions are a lot less dainty than ours and tend to take place without the bother and expense of due process. So, my friend, if you want to start using American military strength as the arm of the Lord, you can do that. We're the only superpower left. You can conquer the world, like Charlemagne. But you better be prepared to kill everyone. And you better start with me, because I will raise up an army against you, and I will beat you. This was just, I think, a bad day. I have to tell you, he's ordinarily an extremely kind man, placing a very high premium on civility. Today, sure. It's just been a very difficult few days for him. I think I should probably go. Excuse me, Charlie. Can I see you inside, please? Come on, it's okay. I'm Jack Bartlett. I'm Charles Young. You prefer Charlie, right? Listen, Leo McGarry filled me in on the situation with your mother. I'm so very sorry. I hope you don't mind, but I took the liberty of calling Tom Conley, the FBI director, and we had the computer spit out some quick information. Your mother was killed by a Western 38 revolver firing KTWs, or what are known as cop killer bullets. Now, we have not had a whole lot of success yet in banning that weapon and those bullets off the streets. But we're planning on taking a big whack at it when Congress comes back from recess. So what do you say? You want to come help us out? Yes, sir, I do. Thanks, Charlie. <clears throat> 30 seconds, please. All set. You tell me. It's a pretty ugly tie. My granddaughter gave me this tie. My nephew gave me an ashtray made at summer camp. Get so away I... from me. Somebody throw this guy out of the building. Stand by. So once again, this episode is great in dealing with the whole truth to power thing as I've kind of talked about before in regards to Fitzwallis. But I love Leo jumping in there and doing so as well. He takes 
Fitzwallis's advice and he sets him down privately. Um, the whole scene also kind of helps keep reinforcing a trait about Bartlett that you may have picked up on. And now some of this stuff I didn't put in, in the clip itself, but he seems to have this obsession with the Roman empire. Um, you get it from, from this thing with this whole bit about the, the Roman citizens in this particular scene. Uh, you get it from the Latin in the last episode. Uh, you start to realize that this is really, this whole Roman thing is really a thing with Bartlett, right? Um, and not to think that he thinks of himself as Caesar or whatever, but, uh, that there's, there's kind of this elitist notion, you know, about Latin and this stuff. I mean, who speaks Latin anymore? It's a dead language, right? Yet, um, here is Bartlett who seems to know it very well and who, uh, constantly reminds people about things in the Roman empire. And so there's that, there's a trait about Bartlett that you learn over the course of a couple of episodes, uh, fairly economically, right? Um, the whole Leo Bartlett scene is also a testament to the kind of friendship that these two have as well. And that's something else that's very economical. Uh, in this particular scene, you hear little snippets about how Leo helped Bartlett to get to the White House. And uh, their friendship gets explored on a much deeper and deeper level as the series goes on. Uh, but once again, very economically, you, you kind of understand that maybe Leo is the only guy that can pull Bartlett back from this edge of a cliff that he's on in regards to just uh, making life difficult for everybody, including himself. Uh, and you also have to love how they resolve it all. All of the tension gets resolved by uh, a joke, which that seems realistic, uh, at least in terms of a release to all of it, uh, all of this tension that would happen between two close friends. Plus, you know, it, it's, the, the the whole bit of, of them just busting out and laughing, uh, it, it makes you see them both as human. And I found it entertaining, the whole bit about uh, Bartlett saying, you know, Ziegler must be going ballistic because Toby did, right? He went ballistic about the, the Bertram Coles quote. Anyway, it's good to see Bartlett come back uh, to at least be engaging after he has this talk with Leo. And he's not standoffish with everyone by the time he gets to the end, even though he still has to give a very important speech. But at least he's kind of back to the to the uh, good humored dude that that we kind of know him to be uh, through these first three episodes. And even when he's talking to Charlie, I I, I guess, you know, the fact that he pulls him in and and he makes all of these amends uh, talking about the bullets and and that kind of thing. that might be construed as being political, I guess, but it, it's more just an opportunity. And again, uh, this is another character of character trait of a Sorkin show. And that is Sorkin always has to find some way here or there in all of his episodes to pontificate a little bit, uh, himself, you know? And so this issue is a perfect issue for him to do that. Uh, and my politics are right in line with Mr. Sorkin's on, on particularly on guns, but nonetheless, um, you're not going to find a single episode of a Sorkin show that doesn't have some kind of little political twist in it that some people will agree with. And some people won't. In fact, uh, with all of the pontificating that Sam does in this particular episode, I kind of almost see Sorkin, uh, as putting 
himself in the story as Sam in a way. Um, but for now, um, regardless of all that, it's good to see that Bartlett did identify with Charlie's loss and that he wants to help him. And I personally believe that he really does. It's, this isn't just a political ploy, um, that he really does want to help Charlie, but I could definitely see how people, uh, could read the scene or people standing around, even if they didn't know Bartlett very well, uh, could just see Bartlett being another politician kind of reaching out to Charlie to make things as smooth as possible, as opposed to the, the brush off that he got earlier. But, uh, again, I think that you find out that, that Bartlett is truly just a caring guy. And that's why, uh, he took interest, uh, once Leo started to tell him the story. And that's all I've got for this particular clip. So it's the episode. Let's get on to an episode rating. And I've got, of course, a special scale, special 10 scale, 1 to 10, that I use. You can find it at sorkincast.wordpress.com. You can find it at the website, and it kind of explains how I come to the arrival of my numbers, more or less. I can kind of categorize what each number means to me. And this one gets an 8.1, because it is just slightly better than the pilot to me, and definitely uh, better than average, and that's all comes mainly out of the point, especially from a nostalgic point of view, uh, that it introduced a lot of my favorite characters. Plus, it it deals with some pretty serious stuff on the character fronts as well. And it does it all pretty, pretty entertaining, in a pretty entertaining fashion, I suppose. And that's my rating. So just want to let you know that next week's episode is season one, episode four, five votes down. And if you have any feedback regarding any of our prior podcasts or any of the episodes through Season 1, Episode 11 of West Wing, you can contact the podcast by emailing sorkincast at gmail.com or you can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line 314-669-1840 or tweet at sorkincast. And anything that I get up until the airing of our review of the 11th episode will be included in our 12th episode, which will be a feedback cast. Uh, I will address all of your feedback then, and thank you for iTunes reviews. I hope you're doing that as well. Remember, you can find all of the links at sorkincast.wordpress.com. This is Matt. Thanks for listening. See you later.